welcome stand-up tragedians. This is your host, Dave, and this is another episode of the Stand Up Tragedy podcast, the third one that we prepared in advance of our trip up to the Edinburgh Free Fringe. That's right, the Stand Up Tragedy team are all here at the Fringe putting on a nightly performance at the Fiddler's Elbow until the 14th of August. And we're bringing together the best poets, musicians, spoken word artists, comedians and much more to give to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival audiences an hour of quality tragedy. Stand Up Tragedy are proud to be a part of the Edinburgh Free Fringe, which means if you come to our show, you don't have to pay any money, although we will pass a hat round at the end. We've got amazing acts from the comedian Robin Ince to Rob Alton, the idiosyncratic spoken word performer, to Sugar and Vice doing cabaret, people doing things I'm not quite sure what they'll be. We've got someone playing a harp. We've got it all. And you can join us. We want you to not only get involved by seeing the show, but also by sharing your tragedy with us, your Edinburgh Festival Tragic Moments. You can tweet us about tragic acts that you've seen or tragedies that have happened to you or your friends or tragic ideas that you had, things that you saw on the street, on the stage, pictures, audio, video, anything. Our hashtag is Tragic Moments. On Twitter, we are at Stand Up For Tragedy. You can like us or friend us on Facebook. And we'll be out and about capturing live tragic moments from festival goers going up and down the Royal Mile and getting everywhere we can through the beautiful city of Edinburgh. What Stand Up Tragedy have always been about is collecting and sharing tragedy. And one of the ways that we'll be collecting and sharing that tragedy is in our podcast, which will be coming out every day that The Fringe is running. So if you can't get to Edinburgh, this is the place to experience Edinburgh. And if you are at Edinburgh, this is a great resource for you to source out shows you'd like to go to, because a lot of the people we'll be featuring are doing full-length shows. Whilst we're spreading the tragedy around, we're going to sate your appetite for misery by sharing with you a tragic true story that was told at our last live London event at the Dogstar in Brixton on the 4th of July. This is Daniel Simpson. Hello. Has anyone here ever dreamed about changing the world? Ah, That's good, because I'm here to tell you how not to do it. Okay, well, imagine it's one of those nights where you're really, really wrecked, and uh, despite that, you're feeling pretty lucid. Um, You've not only just cracked the meaning of life, but you've come up with a plan to put the world to rights. And now imagine you go to bed and you wake up in the morning still feeling the same way, and you decide to actually do something about it. That's the kind of stupid idea that almost got me killed. My plan was to start a Balkan summer of love. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, you might be asking yourself at this point, what impact's that going to have on the world? But uh, it pays to remember that the First World War started in the Balkans when a Serb shot dead the heir to the Austrian throne. Fast forward a few decades and Serbs were accused of starting the wars that had killed Yugoslavia. Now these had finished by the time I moved to Serbia, but not a lot had changed. The country was run by the Mafia and most young people dreamed of leaving. So I thought, 
What if it became Ibiza crossed with Glastonbury? <laughs> and I thought, this would be quite easy to engineer. All I'd have to do would be to get the government to decriminalise soft drugs, strike a deal with a few cheap airlines, take advantage of the copious amounts of cheap alcohol and attractive females and males, and uh, invite all the young people from Western Europe to switch their holiday plans. And because I was a journalist, I was working for the New York Times as their Balkans correspondent, I actually knew a few people who might be able to make this happen. So, uh, the other crucial bit of information to impart at this stage of proceedings is to uh, remind everybody that this was about 10 years ago. And uh, at that time, working for the New York Times, you might imagine, is quite a prestigious job, but uh, it would have required me to participate in uh, enabling the invasion of Iraq. Uh, which I didn't think was what journalists were supposed to be doing, but my boss seemed to have other ideas. So um, I was at this time thinking it was much more interested to get wasted and uh, not bother with the day job too much. And uh, this had led me into contact with some very interesting characters uh, who seemed to populate Belgrade in large numbers. One of these was a gentleman uh, who admittedly was a bit strange. Uh, for a start, he spoke like a Kalashnikov, but uh, he was uh, a man with charming... Uh, Recklessness is really all I can say, and uh, he gave me the courage to start to do exactly the same sort of thing as him, which was to uh, come up with these kind of daft ideas and go ahead with them. And he said, we could have a festival in the centre of Belgrade at a place called Big War Island. <laughs> now, Big War Island is where the River Danube meets the River Sava in the centre of the city, and uh, it was for many years the frontier of the Ottoman Empire and the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So uh, he was saying, we could heal all the fault lines that run through the Balkans, get the young people of neighbouring republics who have been at war with this one for the past 10, 15 years, uh, and uh, we could get them all coming together for a love-in on Big War Island. And what we could then do would be to take advantage of all my New York Times connections by uh, writing stories about it, putting it in the media, and changing the country's image. So I thought, great, yes, of course, let's do it. How did we go about it? Well... I decided to postpone my resignation until I'd taken advantage of some of the connections I did have. And uh, the first thing, obviously, you need to do to organise a music festival is have some money, otherwise you can't book any bands. So I thought, well, maybe I could take advantage of some of the people who used to take advantage of me as a correspondent. Um, I could ask them uh, to do me a favour instead of vice versa, because their favours usually consisted of quoting them and spinning what they said uh, disguised as background facts. Um, <laughs> So I thought, well, I'll start with NATO. Um, and given that, given that Big War Island is in the middle of the river, uh, we'll need a pontoon bridge to connect it to the shore. So maybe NATO would like to give me a pontoon bridge to say sorry for bombing this city four years earlier. <laughs> Oddly enough, they declined. I then tried the European Union, who's... Uh, Chief diplomat, for want of a better title, was at that time a man called Javier Solana, who had personally presided over said bombing. And uh, he, was, he was in Belgrade, as it happened, to, to, uh, to stage one of his uh, sort of diplomatic frequent flyer stunts, where he'd come into town, lecture everybody, tell them what they need to do, hand over more war criminals, and maybe one day they could join the European Union. So I said, why don't you market yourselves to them instead of vice versa? You could put your flag on this island and call it Europa, and we could have a music festival there, and all the young people would love you, and then suddenly they'd be more Western-minded and therefore not voting in more nationalists to run their country into the ground. Uh, and he uh, had his press attaché remove me from his presence. <laughs> so I then decided, how about we try 
Another guy who was a, a Nobel Prize winning Auschwitz survivor by the name of Elie Wiesel, who I visited in his New York townhouse with my new mate from Belgrade and another guy who was a slightly dodgy Croat who agreed to lend us some money. And we said, well, we're going to put together this project to unite Serbs and Croats and other people from uh, neighbouring republics, uh, some Macedonians perhaps, some Kosovo Albanians even. We're going to bring them to Belgrade, we're going to promote peace, love and understanding, reconciliation and uh, make sure that these sort of horrible things never happen again. And how about you know any rich people who could give us a million dollars? Now, at this point, he said he would introduce me to Bill Gates. Um, so I gleefully left his apartment and waited for the phone call that never arrived. So I was then forced to go back to Belgrade and try and make this thing happen with local support, uh, which... Uh, led to some rather eye-opening experiences because the only people with money in Serbia and uh, connections seemed to be guys who'd got rich in the wars. And they were therefore the mafia. And they had uh, a government as their sort of front operation, which was uh, cunningly applying for Western taxpayers' money in the form of aid to whitewash said mafia men as new businessmen and themselves as Democrats. And this is a very effective scheme, so we thought we'd, uh, we'd cash in on it a little bit. And uh, went and asked this guy, who runs an insurance company, which is basically a front for his arms-dealing operations, uh, if he would lend us some money. And uh, he very kindly agreed. Uh, the only condition was, of course, we had to pay it back after the festival. So I thought, fantastic, here we go. Um, suddenly, there we are, able to book these bands. Um, I'm feeling cool, having felt like a square for most of my life. And uh, there I was, in town, thinking, this is going to work suddenly. Uh, whereupon the Serbian Prime Minister got shot dead in broad daylight uh, outside of his office. Uh, which complicated matters somewhat, and the government suggested to us that if we were really serious about organising this music festival and were expecting large numbers of people to arrive, particularly including some foreigners, we'd have to hire some expensive security. And uh, they knew just the guys uh, who turned out to effectively be... Uh, former war criminals like everybody else. And uh, they were dressed in black jumpsuits and they came in a, a group of about 500 of them. And uh, they took up residence on Big War Island, uh, which they patrolled with their muzzled Rottweilers and uh, pronounced it safe for us to stage our festival on. Uh, to cut a very long story short, uh, and without wishing to spoil my book that I'd dearly love you to buy afterwards, um, we went ahead with this festival. And uh, 150,000 people came, and I thought my dreams had come true and everything was magical. Um, and uh, unfortunately, however, it wasn't quite as simple as that, because behind the scenes, nothing was going to plan. Um, there were people collecting money from the bars, which we were obviously going to use to pay back these very shady characters who we borrowed all the cash from to stage the event. Um, but they were stuffing this money into black bin liners and removing it from the island as fast as possible. And, uh, of course, I assumed they were going to take it to the porter cabin on the other side where they would count it and deposit it in our bank account. But when the whole thing got to a close... It turned out that there wasn't any money to pay many of the outstanding bills, including to the one and a half thousand people I'd talked into working at this thing, uh, who all now thought I was scum. And uh, at this point, I got very confused, because I'd set out to do something very positive and transformative, and actually, I'd made a fool of myself, and I'd made lots of young people very angry instead of very happy and peace-loving. And uh, I thought, well, ouch! Uh, what can I do to numb the pain? Uh, what can I do to try and cheer myself up? 
Uh, and I'd hoped, of course, to get rich on the back of all this, and that was not going to happen now. But there was a large bag of drugs that was lurking backstage that we'd bought to give to the performers. And I thought, well, why don't I just take that? Maybe I can sell some of it and make some cash. Uh, and there was quite a lot in there. There was a big brick of Coke, basically about 100 grams worth, a bag of 500 pills, and half a kilo of hashish. So I, I retreated to my apartment uh, and uh, proceeded to have a two-week bender. Whereupon I got extremely paranoid and started to realise that these people who were looking for money might come looking for the foreigner who would be presumed to have cash holed up in his apartment and they might knock on my door, discover this, uh, you know, whatever remained of that by this point after I'd invited various friends to come and help me bosh through it. Um, and they might then put me in jail for a very long time where I would be swarthily gang-raped by charming men. Uh, so I figured it was time to do a runner. I left the country in a hurry and uh, I retreated to a farmhouse in France where I hid rather afraid because I didn't really know what had happened. Um, my business partner would only tell me that we'd been robbed by these uh, security guards who we'd employed who were of course in coalition with the government being funded by uh, Western taxpayers and effectively therefore a front for the CIA. Um, <laughs> at which point I said, ah, I'm in a Balkan conspiracy theory and decided I would have to write all about it. Now, when I was holed up in my farmhouse, sat there with as much hash as I could get my hands on and staying awake for several days, thinking I was going to write the equivalent of the on-the-road scroll, uh, <laughs> nothing came out apart from absolute confusion. Because I just didn't know anything. I didn't know what had even happened in my own life. I couldn't make head and a tail of it. And slowly, I smoked myself psychotic. <laughs> Whereupon I realised it was probably time to rethink my megalomaniac plans for changing the world and uh, have a little bit of a closer look at how I might change my life, perhaps starting with smoking less weed. <laughs> now fast forward ten years, here I am, the book did finally get written. Um, I didn't remain in a position requiring me to get French doctors to inject Valium at my backside and uh, the stupid ideas that I was playing with actually came true in Croatia. There is now a uh, large festival scene that you know, young people from Western Europe flock to each summer paying vast amounts of money. And if you or any of your friends might be going there this summer and you would like to know the story of the pioneering event that ought to have come to that wonderful conclusion, you can buy my book for a fiver and enjoy it. Thank you very much. <laughs> So Daniel calls himself a renegade correspondent and he's recorded even more of this amazing story in his book, A Rough Guide to the Dark Side. And what he's written in there is almost unbelievable, but I promise you that it's all true. Find out more on his website, www.roughguidedarkside.com. And Daniel's going to be performing with us up in Edinburgh at the Fiddler's Elbow. Other past stand-up tragedy acts who are coming back include Timandra Harkness, Sophia Walker, Faye Roberts, The Superbard, Lucy Ayrton, Jay Foreman, too many more to mention. So come along and see us live. Share the tragedy with others, tell your friends about the show, send links out to our Facebook and our Twitter and we'll keep you up to date in return. Check out our website www.standuptragedy.co.uk for the full listings of all the performers that we've got every day of our run or check out on Facebook we've got an events page on there that's got the full listings of all the performers who are at the Edinburgh Fringe with us.
So keep listening and keep spreading the tragic word. Until tomorrow, the tragedy is over. Dry your eyes, it's time to go. Stand Up Tragedy is produced by Bryony Hawkins with audio production from Stephen Harvey. The Stand Up Tragedy theme tune was created by Sam Wilkinson, who you can contact at Radio Juan at yahoo.co.uk. Our outro music was written and produced by George Brufton and the Reactionaries. And we've sprinkled in some extra bagpipes played kindly for us by Vaughan Granding. It's time to go. It's time to go. Time to go.